0: Hi, this is Michael R. Underwood, author of the Genre Renauts Adventure Science Fiction Series and Novellas, and you are listening to The Melting Podcast. You're listening to The Melting Podcast. A
1: writing variety show featuring a little of everything... From everyone... Everywhere...
0: Hey, lexicon and word chefs, it is episode 71 of the Melting Podcast. I'm your head chef, AF Grappin, and I am flying solo today, uh, cooking alone in the kitchen, running the show by myself, etc., etc., mostly just because, you know, it's the holidays and things are hectic, and holy crap, this has been quite a year for the podcast. Um, we are still working on our Patreon becker only episode as well, so this is going to be quick because I've got two episodes to get out within the next two weeks. With that said, let's just go ahead and get straight down to business. We have a fantastic story for you. This is kind of being considered our Christmas episode. Yeah, we're 10 days early, but that just means you're going to have 10 days to listen to it. So you'll listen to it 10 times before Christmas, right? Yeah, I'm sure that's how this works. And honestly, this story that we have is something that I think you would be interested in listening to like 10 times. This is a really, really great story. We've got a main ingredient story by a new word chef who has been a fan of the show for a few years now and this story is loosely based off of one of our prompts it's based slightly off of prompt number 16 the sounds on top of the roof suddenly stopped so please enjoy this gift to you
2: There Arose Such a Clatter by Keith Hughes
1: "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse
2: Except for me, Ray Simmons, single dad and amateur bicycle tech I mean, seriously, who knew it took so many parts for a basic bike? When I started pulling out bag after bag of small metal doodads, I double-checked the box to make sure I hadn't bought a nuclear warhead kit by mistake. Thankfully, the frame came as a single piece, although a tube of grease I hadn't gotten to yet was giving me anxiety. Being a typical male, I ignored the recommended sequence of assembly to get the wheels and kickstand on first. That way, I could at least stand the thing upright. The less of that gloppy stuff that got on my apartment's carpeting, the better. I had some old newspapers strewn around in the vain hope I might one day get my security deposit back.
1: And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap.
2: Yeah, right. I was currently wearing boxers and not much else. My usual t-shirt that completed my nighttime wear was wadded up on the floor. It's not like I have the thermostat turned up, but fiddling with all these parts had me overheating. Also, it was well after 1 a.m., and sleep was a long way away. For the nth time, I wished I had paid the Wally World folks the extra hundred to put the darned thing together, but the reality was I had nowhere secret to store it assembled. Nope. Nope. I was stuck working the graveyard shift getting my little princess's pink bike ready for the morning. I just hope she didn't wake to find me sleeping here with newsprint on my cheek and the cycle only half done.
1: When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter.
2: My apartment is rather odd because it is one half of what used to be a single ranch-style home. Under the current configuration, my portion was a decently sized two-bedroom unit, and it had the benefit of no one living above us. When something hit the roof with all the energy of a B-52 coming in for an emergency landing, I expected it to come right through the ceiling and into my living room. After the initial pounding, there were a few more taps and slight thumps before all went silent again. I checked Emily's room to ensure that she remained asleep. Just once more, I was grateful for her natural ability to slumber through most anything. I ducked into my bedroom to slide on my jeans and plucked my t-shirt from the floor as I made my way to the front door. A voice reached me, clearly filtering down from the roof. The speaker seemed to be performing an inventory of every swear word I'd ever used, along with a few new ones I'd missed. The odd thing was whoever was bellowing still managed to sound slightly jolly. There was another thump, this time just outside my door, as if something dropped from the roof. Before I could turn the knob, a series of light knocks filtered through the wood. I recognized the tune of Jingle Bells.
1: He was dressed all in fur, from his head to his foot and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot.
2: I never once doubted the being before me was Santa Claus. He was much shorter than I'd been given to believe. Making that elf comment in the poem make sense. His clothes were as I expected, but the scowl was an unusual sight. It looked uncomfortable on his face. One thing that could not be denied was that this was the original Santa Claus. Despite his uncharacteristic mien, he exuded an undeniable aura of Santanus. Ray, I need your help. I was initially surprised he knew my name, but this was freaking Santa Claus. Of course he knew who lived here. He gave me a beat to adjust to this, then held out a black-mittened hand. We've never really met. I'm Kringle. Kringle. His scowl lessened slightly, and I saw that much-advertised twinkle in his right eye. As I gripped his hand, I was slightly surprised that he could be touched. I don't know what I expected, but the situation had gone from surreal to mind-blowing in a heartbeat. I had a hard time keeping up. Were we on a first-name basis? I erred on the side of caution and went with respectful. Hi, Mr. Kringle. Chris, please. His belly rumbled with a repressed chuckle. As I said, I need your help. Do you have a ladder? The owner left a ladder in my garage for safekeeping, and I carefully pulled it out in the darkness, trying to keep the noise down. I was thankful I lived in Nashville, so the temperature was mild, even in December, I got the ladder in position to see him standing at the top looking down. Oh, I thought you needed it to get up. Now that bowl full of jelly shook as a laugh erupted from the beard.
3: <laughs> no, my boy, the ladder is for you. Come on up.
2: I only had my slippers on, and I briefly contemplated going in for my sneakers, but then I heard a snort and it definitely did not come from Chris. As my brain processed the animal origin of the sound, I was already climbing the rungs. The sleigh looked like everything I'd ever expected, and yet so much better. The red glazing that covered it glowed with good cheer, while the gold filigree details kept shifting. I realized it was forming holiday greetings in a myriad of languages, I recognized a few, but others escaped me. It seemed to have hundreds of permutations. A knicker drew my attention to the team before Santa's sleigh. The reindeer were stately, with shiny, smooth coats and bright eyes. Once again, the only surprising factor was the size. Instead of being normal size for adult deer, these were about the height of a Shetland pony. As I inspected the animals, I saw Santa's problem. The lead reindeer on the left hung awkwardly in its traces, its left foot held up off the roof shingles. The leg bent awkwardly, and I knew it was broken. Yep, there's the problem. Chris had hung back, letting me take in his ride. I turned to look at him, but he was regarding the reindeer with concern. Poor Comet. She's in a lot of pain. Should I call a vet? This brought a full laugh from my diminutive companion, a true ho-ho-ho of mirth. It had a hypnotizing effect, lifting my spirits to near euphoria. Once his laugh ended, I noticed the rest of the world again. Even Comet seemed to have regained a bit of cheer.
3: No, my boy, no vet is needed. Rummage in the back for a medical kit while I get her out of this harness.
1: A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack.
2: Still wrapped in the effects of his laugh, I followed his instructions. It was only as I neared the back of the sleigh that I noticed the large sack that filled the space. It rose nearly four feet above my head, and I could make out the odd corners of several presents peeking out the top. It looked to have been made from the richest velvet, a lavish maroon with gold stitching along the top in a holly-leaf pattern. The berries shone brightly, rotating through several shades of red. A rope made of silver strands was looped under the opening, keeping it from spilling out its contents. Peering over the edge of the sleigh, I could see a space between the sack and the inside of the vehicle. There were two plastic boxes mounted there, both adorned with a red cross. One had a piece of lime-green masking tape on it with reindeer written in bright red letters. I grabbed it and rejoined Chris at the front of the team.
1: He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work.
2: Comet now lay on the roof on her good side. Chris gently holding the damaged leg straight in a bid to ease the animal's pain. I knelt at his side and snapped open the latches on the medical kit, but when I lifted the lid, I froze. I had expected gauze and bandages, maybe some splints and ampules of medicine. Instead, it looked like a Christmas care package with bright multicolored wrapping paper and bows, bulbs of liquid that bore a picture of a mug of hot chocolate, and frosted Christmas cookies. Perfect! I glanced up at Chris in confusion as he beamed at me. Feed her a cookie. I picked up one of the confections, which looked quite good. I gave St. Nick a quizzical look, and he nodded. The reindeer gulped it down enthusiastically, then relaxed with a sigh. It
3: contains a pain reliever. Don't eat one, or you'll be sleeping for hours.
2: Now that he mentioned it... Comet did seem drowsy, although she wasn't totally asleep. Her eyes closed halfway, infused with contentment. We need to move quickly. Her metabolism will burn through that in just a few minutes. Grab her torso. I did as instructed, and he pulled on the leg. Comet's eyes widened from their stupor, and she gave a small bleat of alarm when the bone slid back into place with a small clack. Easy girl. I followed up on his words with soft strokes on her flank. The sight and sound of the bone moving had me thinking I might hurl, and I certainly didn't want to puke on Father Christmas. But the jolly old elf didn't give me time to focus on my reaction, and I managed to keep my gorge in place. What followed was much like every surgery scene I'd seen on TV. "'Instead of a doctor asking curtly for scalpel or forceps, "'I supplied Chris with wrapping paper and bows. "'He wrapped these around the break "'in a manner better than any present I'd ever put together. "'When he had it all in place, he asked for a gift tag. "'Once that was affixed to the packaging-clad leg, "'the material crackled as it shifted from its pliable state "'to something harder than a candy cane. "'After a moment,' Chris gave his handiwork a small wrap with a knuckle and was rewarded with a hollow sound. Comet nickered her approval and nudged his arm with her snout.
3: Could you sit with her a moment, Ray? I'm going to shift the team around so she can be in the back. It'll be easier for her there.
2: Sure, I said, coming around to sit by her head. She nudged me, and I ran a hand along her snout. Comet made a contented sound so I kept it up until Chris returned. By that time, she had her head in my lap. He grinned at me, then pulled one of the hot chocolate bulbs from the kit and put a rubber nipple on it like a baby would use.
3: Here, give this a shake and then feed it to her. It'll give some more pain relief and protect against infection.
2: I shook the bulb and it warmed in my hand. When I put the nipple to Comet's mouth, she greedily sucked it down in a few seconds. The aroma of amazing hot chocolate wafted from Comet's mouth, and the scent was so enchanting I felt a sudden desire to quaff a mug of the stuff myself. All right, girl. Break's over. With a surprising agility for an animal with a damaged limb, Comet scrambled to her feet. She rubbed up against my shoulder with a knicker and then trotted easily along the pitched roof to the open place Chris had made in the team just before the sleigh. Another reindeer stood in Comet's former spot at the head. Go on and head down, Ray, and put your ladder
3: away. I'll come down after I get her all hooked up.
1: But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight. Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night.
2: The ladder's metal rungs seemed especially treacherous in my slippers, so I eventually kicked them off and made the descent in my bare feet. Minutes later, I was closing the garage door. I found Chris standing on my porch, this time with a big smile.
3: I really can't thank you enough, Ray. I usually have an elf assistant, but Holly Smith came down ill and I couldn't get a replacement. They're really picky about job roles.
2: He shrugged. It's an elf thing. No problem. I'm glad I could help. The niceties came automatically but now that the emergency had been dealt with, the peculiarity of the situation once again impinged upon my awareness. This only increased as Santa Claus drew off his mitten and offered me his hand. I shook it, cognizant that I held the hand of a legend an immortal. You have a Merry Christmas, Ray, you and your daughter. In a blink he was back on the roof, looking down with amusement at my gaping and tell Emily that Kris Kringle said she has a good father. With that, he leaped into his sleigh and gave the reins a shake. The sled slid along the shingles as if they were on snow, then the whole conveyance lifted into the air. Comet turned her head and looked down at me, and Chris gave me a final wave before they were lost in the night. I stood there far longer than I needed to but eventually I realized I was standing in my lawn in the wee hours looking at the sky like a believer in UFOs, and I still had a bicycle in pieces all over my carpet. I sighed and trudged inside. It was only when I closed the door that I realized my living room had changed. The lights on our tree were richer, giving off a better quality of light. The branches were fuller, and I might have thought it was a different tree except our ornaments still hung from the branches. Sitting on its kickstand, directly in front of the tree, was the bicycle, fully assembled and bearing a large red bow. A myriad of other presents ringed the tree, far more than I had bought. I recognized the shapes of some, and knew the few that I had stashed in my closet were now expertly wrapped and part of this fantastic assortment. I also saw one or two with my name on it and felt an anticipatory impatience that made me feel like a child again. The cuckoo clock chimed two, a reminder that I should be getting to bed, but my mind was ready for anything but sleep. Instead, I fired up the single-mug coffee maker and slipped a hot chocolate cup into it. What came out was creamy, frothy, and the perfect beverage for a night like this. I sat on the couch and sipped the drink, thinking that Emily would never believe me if I told her about my late-night visitor. Then I had to laugh at myself, because she was a believer of all things Santa. She would eat this tale up, taking it as proof of Santa's existence. As I finished my seasonal drink, I realized that, in part, was just what events had given me. I had to admit that there were things in this world worthy of wonder and awe, something that did not really factor into my everyday adult life. I now knew that not all childish beliefs were foolish flights of fancy. As that idea soaked into my whimsy-starved soul, I experienced a rush of contentment. It broke over me like a wave, providing far more warmth than my mug of cocoa. I had already received my best present for this holiday season, and I grasped an awareness of infinite possibilities. After all, wasn't that what made Children Everywhere treasure this holiday so much? Merry Christmas, indeed.
0: You know, I'm the one that casts these stories. Uh, I decide who's going to do the narration, who's going to do the voices and everything. And it was actually really, really easy to give myself a break on this story. First of all, I swear, the story was written for Theo. So, I mean, he had to do the narration for it. Aaron has performed the poem The Night Before Christmas before, so that was logical, which would have left me as Santa Claus. But the podcast's really good friend Jeff Brackett just has that perfect voice, and he did Santa Claus like sixty five gazillion times better than I could have. so uh everybody who knows Jeff Brackett, please send him your thanks on Facebook, on Twitter, on any social media platform. Give him huge thanks for being Chris Kringle for us. um Keith, that was an amazing story. Thank you again for that gift. Speaking of gifts, if you want to buy you know an ebook or audiobook or paperback book or just any other kind of book for a friend for, you know, the upcoming holiday, which shall remain nameless, Christmas, maybe consider getting this one right here.
3: Under 30,000 feet of water, the exploration rig leaguer has discovered an oil field larger than Saudi Arabia. With oil so sweet and pure, nations would go to war for the rights to it. But as the team starts drilling exploration wells in their race to claim the sweet crude, a deep rumbling beneath the ocean floor shakes them to their core. Something has been living in the oil. Pauline Cooley's The Black is a techno horror thriller reminiscent of movies such as Leviathan and The Thing and puts terror right into readers' ears. The Black, a free podcast novel available from ShadowPublications.com and iTunes. Ocean exploration will never be the same.
0: You know, one thing that sucks about flying solo is that I don't have anybody to play off of. I don't have Aaron to bother. I don't have Aaron to bother me. I don't have Theo to annoy. There aren't any junior chefs running around. All I have is myself and... I can get pretty boring. If you actually go back and look at the first couple episodes of The Melting Podcast, I'm talking like episodes one, two, maybe even three. It was only me at the time. Aaron hadn't gotten that involved yet. And I like to think that in the last four and a half years, I've gotten a little better at just talking to you guys. Even so, this show isn't the same without Aaron and Theo. So rather than just have me mutter on for a while, how about we do a mystery meal and actually get the other guys involved? Well, hello.
1: Howdy. We are all assembled. Carefully.
0: We've done a good job. Are we Avengers?
1: We've done a good job, so we're
0: done? No, no, we, we haven't started yet. Oh! Well, how fancy. Yeah. So we have gathered today for a mystery meal. Why? It's a mystery. Because it's a mystery meal and we have to gather for them.
1: Hooray! Good job.
0: So we Step gather one, as a group? Gather. Or
2: individually?
0: We gather as a group. We gathered as a group. We're we're, we're here. We individually gathered and now have gathered. And we're
1: here.
0: (laughs) So you should do the thing. I did words. And you also did words, which is why we have a mystery meal to read. Right.
1: By you, we meant you, the listener. Yeah. Well done.
0: Yeah. Mystery meals are where we take iconic scenes from classic literature and bastardize them into Mad Libs. And then he- he generally you make Theo read them. Hi. Yeah. Thea the yeah. That's all. So what is our selection?
2: Let me flip over the page and find out. Flip over the page.
0: When you hear the chime, turn the page. Oh you're
1: ah, my childhood.
0: Here to get it. What's the selection? Is it air or ire? Air air.
2: Air. Okay. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte.
0: Bronte. But yeah, so this <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know how to pronounce things. It's fine. It's fine, this is fine. Like the fine. Bronte's, it's fine. So this is the scene where Jane confronts, I believe it's her aunt, to finally tell her off. Mm-hmm. Proceed.
2: Proceeding. Intrude. Mrs. Reed looked up from her work. Her pituitary gland settled on mine.
1: Ha! Huh. <laughs>
2: her optic nerves at the same time suspended their nimble movements.
1: Ha? Huh? So she came out of Wren?
2: <laughs> Go out of the room, return to the nursery, was her mandate. My look, or something else, must have struck her as waggish. For she spoke with extreme though suppressed irritation. I got up, I went to the door, I came back again. Discombo- I discombobulated to the window.
0: <laughs>
2: Across the room, then close up to her. Blurt, I must. I had been trodden on severely and must turn, but how? What strength had I to dart retaliation at my antagonist? I gathered my energies and launched them in this multicultural sentence.
1: (laughs) We're
2: progressive. (laughs) I am not deceitful. If I were, I should say I loved you. But I declare I do not pluck you. I dislike you, the worst of anybody in the world, except T. Morris. (gasps) And this book about the liar you may give to your girl, Georgina. For it is she who tells lies, and not I.
1: Poor tea.
2: <laughs> Mrs. Reed's knees still lay on her work inactive. Ha! Her eye of ice continued to dwell happily on mine.
1: <laughs> Happy ice. It's cold. Let it go. <laughs>
2: what more have you to say, she asked, rather in the tone in which a person might address an opponent of adult age than such as is ordinarily used to a child. That eye of hers, that voice stirred every antipathy I had, shaking from amputee stump to butt cheek, (laughs) thrilled with ungovernable excitement, I continued.
1: Amputee stump to butt
0: cheek. You've never trembled that part of you? (laughs) It's just your femur. (laughs) Wow.
2: (laughs) I am glad you are no relation of mine. I will never call you Grill Mistress again as long as I live. I will never come to swim you when I am grown up, and if anyone asks me how I liked you and <clears throat> how you stuffed me, <laughs> I will say the very thought of you makes me sick and that you treated me with miserable cruelty. How it's true though. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you affirm that, Jane Eyre? Air. Air. <laughs> you can tell I haven't read this before.
0: they going to be head? so if I pronounce it wrong, your head.
2: How dare I, Mrs. Reed? How dare I? Because it is the truth. You think I have no breakfasts,
1: <laughs> and that I can't uh, do It's, it's breasts. <laughs> uh, it's, it's I, I, I know, I was being a. Continue. <laughs>
2: And that I can do without one bit of love or kindness. But I cannot live so, and you have no pity. I shall remember how you thrust me back, mm-hmm. mockingly and acrimoniously thrust me back into the red room and locked me up there to my dying day. Though I was in agony, though I cried out while suffocating with distress, Sweet zombie Jesus, have mercy, Aunt Reed! <laughs> And that punishment you made me suffer because your wicked boy struck me... Knocked me down for nothing. I will tell anybody... Car. <laughs> <Hold> <laughs> I, I will tell anybody who asks me questions this exact tale. People think you a good woman, but you are a bad, hard-hearted... You are... rugged.
1: <laughs> rugged Alright then. Rugged.
2: Era had finished this reply... My nose hair began to expand, to exult, with the strangest sensation of freedom, of triumph I have ever felt. It seemed as if an invisible bond had burst, and that I had struggled out into up-hoped, unhoped-for liberty. Not without cause for th- was this sentiment. Mrs. Reed looked frightened. Her work had marched from her knee. She was lifted, lifting up her antenna. <laughs> And yeah. I rocking herself to and fro, and even twisting her face as if she would cry, Jane, you are under a mistake. What is the matter with you? Why do you tremble so violently? Would you like to drink some cake batter? <laughs> no, Mrs. Reed, is there anything else you wish for, Jane? I assure you, I desire to be your telephone directory. <laughs> Not you. You told mister Brocklehurst I had bad char- I had a bad character, a peevish disposition. And I'll let everybody at Uranus know what you are and what you have done. Jane, you don't understand these things. Children must be corrected for their faults. Deceit is not my fault I cried out, in a savage, electrified voice. Oh she autotunes. <laughs> but you're passionate, Jane that you must allow. And <clears throat> now return to the nursery. There's a deer, and lie down a little. I am not your dear. I cannot wince. Send me to school soon, Mrs. Reed, for I hate to live here. I will indeed send her to school soon, murmured Mrs. Reed's sotto voce. Sato voce? Voce. Voce. Yeah, okay. It's like, Italian.
1: Kind of like... Yeah, oh, wow. Oh, wow. it's an aside.
2: Yeah, and gathering up her work, she abruptly peed the apartment. You. <laughs> <Ew. laughs> she had to reassert dominance.
1: <laughs> you guys are twisted.
0: <laughs> twisted. Uh, so as always, keep your eyes open on the Facebook group and on Twitter for suggestions and requests for the next mystery meal. Thanks. You know Theo does bring up a good point. When you only ever read names or words, sometimes you don't know how to pronounce them. If I hadn't heard Jane Eyre uh spoken at me multiple times in high school for the, you know, classic literature, I wouldn't have known to pronounce it Eyre. So, let's all give Theo a break, okay? I mean, like like the dishes he so often breaks. Let's just let's just let's just break things. Speaking of breaking, I think it's time for me to to, to break down this episode and call it quits. So I'm going to give you a really quick spiel, uh, the usual stuff at the end of episodes. Um, Again, thank you so much for listening. 2018 has been absolutely crazy for the podcast, and we still have one more episode to go. That's our Patreon backer only episode, which will be up before December 31st. We've got some great stuff in store for you. Now, that's not in our regular feed. You can only get access to the Patreon backer only episode if you are a Patreon backer. Uh, you can become a backer for as little as $1 an episode at patreon.com slash themeltingpodcast. One dollar an episode gets you physical swag. It it gets you our Patreon backer only episode. It gets you access to our backer only episodes for the last two years as well. So you'll get 2016 and 2017's episodes as well. So that's three more episodes you could get for as little as a dollar an episode. And you'd be amazed at how much that one dollar can really help us. Now, don't get me wrong. You can back us for three, five, ten, twenty, even fifty dollars an episode. That would be an even bigger help, but you know, we get it. Money, money is limited. Money is precious. Every dollar helps us. So consider going to com slash the melting podcast, giving us a little boost, help us pay voice actors, contributors, upgrade our sound system and keep our web hosting up, which keeps the podcast going. If subscribing is not quite your deal, you can always go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash the melting podcast, and you can just buy swag. Just throw, you know, a little chunk of money and get yourself a nice apron that says Lux You can get a mug with my cartoon face on it. You can also get Aaron and Theo's cartoon faces, but why would you want to? Um, but the proceeds also go directly back into the podcast to help cover web fees and any other expenses that we have come up. So that is also a big help for us. You can also go to uh, iTunes, give us a review, give us 75 stars. I'm sorry, just five stars. And that doesn't cost you anything but a few minutes of your time, and that also really helps us. It helps other people find us, which will only help us to grow. And finally, you can always just give us some nice cheap words. Now, words do take a little bit more time to make, but trust me, you have it in you, and we want to hear your words. Um, We do accept pretty much anything. Uh, We don't really accept erotica, but we accept short stories and flash fiction. Now, flash fiction... Are our Stoke the Fire stories, that can be 1,500 words or fewer, and those do need to be based off of one of our open prompts. We have two open prompts right now. Prompt number 17 is only going to be open until the end of the year. Prompt number 17 is, you have a dinosaur bodyguard. We need more dinosaur stories, guys. I mean, who doesn't like a good dinosaur story? Um, that, Like I said, that prompt will be going away at the end of the year and will will be replaced with a new one. Uh, Our other open prompt is prompt number 18. You are informed via phone that your significant other has been in an accident. They're standing right next to you. There's so much potential with that, and we haven't gotten any submissions yet. It's been open for almost three months already, and we've gotten nothing. So please go to your laptop, get uh, get a notepad and a pen, scribble down some words and send them to us. Now, if prompts aren't your thing, or if you are just a little bit wordier than 1,500 words, main ingredient stories are 5,000 words or fewer. They do not have to be on a prompt, but kudos to you if you base them on a prompt. Um, and again, just send those to us. You can look at our submission guidelines at themeltingpodcast.com slash submissions. Um, or you can just email themeltingpodcast at gmail.com to get information. We'll We'll get back to you as soon as we can on that. That's actually going to be it for me. I've got to get working on this Patreon episode. Um, Like I said, I've only got two weeks left to get this thing out, and we're getting close. So this is going to be another good one. Hopefully in 2019, we'll actually not be cutting things so close and I can get it out early in the year. But we've already chosen our story for the 2019 episode, and it's going to be a doozy. Um, Again, thank you so much for a wonderful 2018 from all of us here at the Disaster Kitchen, we really look forward to hearing your words, to getting your words, to having you throw your words at us, get at us on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, we don't have an Instagram, but that's because we're a podcast. So yeah, Facebook, Twitter, email, our website, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love for you to be involved in our mystery meals and other things that we Uh, have audience participation for. If you're an author and you want to be interviewed, let us know. Contact us. We want to have you on the show. We want to put your words and your creativity out there. So let us be your voice. Send us stuff and we'll use it to feed the masses.
1: Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com
0: you can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you could email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it, as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website.
1: Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project.
0: And our theme is by Drew Richcreek. send us stuff.